Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph, and this is episode number 182 of this glorious podcast where we talk about Boston sports and, of course, other league-wide topics. This episode is going to be about the Boston Bruins. This episode will be about the Boston Red Sox. Football, for the time being, is behind us, whether that's... uh, fortunate news or unfortunate news however that is the case until we get closer and closer to free agency which is just a mere few weeks away however we do have a lot of pressing matters to talk about in regards to the Bruins who struck a massive deal last night had trade night here at the shop last night and this deal went down getting the update and it was absolutely wild because it was such a big move for the team excuse me I'm still trying to digest a little bit here but I really wanted to dive into the studio and get this episode out there because there is a lot to talk about but before we do get into the Bruins before we do get into the Red Sox I want to thank you guys so much for clicking on this video if you're listening to this on YouTube thank you so much for liking commenting and of course subscribing if you're new to the channel or haven't considered subscribing if you're listening to this episode on audio only platforms such as Spotify Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, wherever you can find your podcasts, you can find Murph's Boston Sports Talk. That's just a fact, not an opinion. That is a fact. So again, thank you guys so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying. Trade night last night was really fun. I'm not going to lie. I was very stressed last night because I was trying to price and get cards organized for a big show this weekend at Mohegan Sun Casino. Uh, it's going to be a great show. It's going to be 250, 300 or so tables at this show. It's going to be fantastic. So I've spent this past week, ever since I got back from Ohio on, let's say, well, we got back on Tuesday, but I was here at the shop on Wednesday. So the past couple days, been trying to organize a bunch of different cards, patches, autos, numbered, inserts, you name it, trying to organize it and get ready for this show. Luckily, last night, trade night, I had someone buy just about almost at least almost everything that I was going to bring. So that kind of took a lot of weight off my shoulders because at least I was able to move those cards all in one quick, swift deal. Actually, it was a couple smaller deals, but they, at the end of the day, took almost everything. But now I got to try to find some new inventory for the show. I'm going to have to try to find more inventory. I have cards, obviously, here at the shop. That's not an issue. Um, But, hmm. I'm going to have to kind of pivot my plan a little bit, which is not a problem at all, but something I don't know if I expected to do, in all honesty. So after this episode's over, 
going to have six or so hours to kind of figure it out, pack it up, or pack up, you know, the truck and be ready because shop's closing early tonight at 6 o'clock going to the Providence Bruins game that uh, that starts at 7 o'clock. So very, very exciting. So it's kind of fitting that since I'm going to the P Bruins that we talk about the B Bruins. Now, I know a lot of people call the Providence Bruins the P Bruins, but do people call the Boston Bruins B Bruins. I've lived here in New England my whole life. I've never heard the B Bruins, so I'm going to say no. But let's talk about the Bruins because I really want to. I'm so excited to talk about the Bruins. So, as we know, or maybe you don't know and you're hearing this for the first time, the Bruins struck a massive deal last night to acquire defenseman Dmitry Orlov and right winger Garnett Hathaway, both from the Washington Capitals. This is an article from NBCSports.com slash Boston. This article came out three hours ago, written by Nick Goss, and I really, really want to talk about it because it dives into what this trade does, what this trade means to the team this year, and then, of course, it's going to talk about the team's future in the next couple of years in accordance to their current um, selection of draft picks. So, this article is titled, Updated List of Bruins' Future Draft Picks After Trade with Capitals. The Boston Bruins will not be very active in the early rounds of the next few NHL drafts. The Bees made a splash ahead of the March 3rd trade deadline to acquire defenseman Dmitry Orlov and right-wing Garnett Hathaway from the Washington Capitals on Thursday in exchange for a 2023 first-round pick, a 2022 second-round pick, a 2024 third-round pick, and right-wing Craig Smith. Boston also sent the Minnesota Wild a 2023 fifth-round pick for retaining 25% of Orlov's salary. For the second consecutive trade deadline, the Bruins dealt multiple draft picks to acquire defensemen. They added Hampus Lindholm from the Anaheim Ducks last year, and it's been a home run deal for the for Boston thus far. I do want to add that after they struck that deal with Hampus with the Ducks acquiring Hampus Lindholm, they signed him to an extension. Dmitry Orlov is a free agent at the end of the season. Um, the Capitals are paying 50% of his salary. The Wild are paying 25%. So that's 75% that you don't have to pay. You only have to pay 25%, which I believe is about a million and change or so. From what I checked last night at trade deadline when I was talking to other people about it. You don't want to waste all those draft picks and lose them at the end of the season. So hopefully you can sign him long term. Because if you can have Dmitry Orlov, Hampus Lindholm, Charlie McAvoy, and then Brandon Carlo as your top four. Wow, that is absolutely killer. Uh, let's see. How Bruins trade for Orlov Hathaway significantly improves their roster. These moves and others have depleted the Bruins' collection of draft picks in the coming years. They have now traded away four of their last six first-rounders. They won't have a second-round selection until 2026. The Bruins haven't picked in both the first and second round of the same draft since 2017. Unless they acquire some more picks, that streak will extend until at least 2026. The Bruins don't have one of the deepest or most talented prospect pools in the league. Far from it, actually. The Athletic ranked every team's prospect pool in January, and Boston was 30th out of 32 teams. Oh, that's awful. Not having all of these early draft picks will only make that situation worse. But that's the price the Bruins are willing to pay to be among the top Stanley Cup contenders. We're in it to try and win it. And we and you have to qualify for the playoffs and go from there, Bruins general manager Don Sweeney said on a Zoom call with reporters after the trade. Here's an updated look at the Boston Bruins picks over the next four drafts. 
The extra seventh round selection in 2023 is from the Los Angeles Kings. The Bruins, like many contenders, have been willing to trade. Oh, yeah, we already talked about that. Okay, future draft picks. 2023 NHL draft. No first round, no second round, no fifth round. All you have is a third, fourth, fifth, and two seventh round picks. In 2024, you do have a first round. But no second round pick, no third round pick. You do have a fourth, fifth, and sixth, but no seventh round pick. In 2025, you have a first round pick and no second round pick, but you have everything else, three, four, five, six, seven. In 2026, however, you do have the whole slate of picks, rounds one through seven. Uh, Is that the end of the article? That is the end of the article. So what does that really mean for the Bruins? Well, the trade deadline's on March 3rd. That is a week from today. So they still have one week to make any additional moves. They'll probably see Orlov and Hathaway with the team for, I don't know what the schedule looks like, at least a couple games. I'm just pulling up the game. They won 6-5 last night. That was pretty cool. Uh, Against the Seattle Kraken. Let's see. So they play tomorrow against the Canucks, Monday against the Oilers, Tuesday against the Flames, and Thursday against the Sabres back at home. So right now they're on their West Coast trip, visiting Seattle, Vancouver, Edmonton, and Calgary. So they're going to play tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday before the deadline. That's four games. That is a huge sample size to see what your team looks like post-trade. Now, will Orlov and Hathaway be ready to rock and roll tomorrow? For the Bruins, I have no idea. I probably kind of doubt it. I'll be surprised, but I'll be excited. Do I see them ready to rock and roll for the Edmonton game on Monday? I would expect so. I really would. So, but at the end of the day, though, what does this mean? So the Bruins striking this deal right now is actually, a, in my opinion, a huge deal because it allows them a week or four games to figure out if this is going to be enough. Is Dmitry Orlov and Hathaway enough? To me, in a vacuum, I'd say yes. You get a bona fide third string, uh, you know, a, a bottom six winger, but a good one nonetheless. And then you get a top four defenseman. Will he be with McAvoy? Will he be with Carlo? Will, you know, beginning of the season, it was going to be, well, actually the end of the season, excuse me, it was Hampus Lindholm and Charlie McAvoy. Then when McAvoy came back from injury, it was both of them, and then they got split up. You know, with Dmitry Orlov coming in, will you put him on the second line and then pair him with Carlo and put Lindholm and McAvoy back together? There's just so many different possibilities you could do by bringing in a guy like Orlov and then also bringing in a guy like Hathaway who's going to seemingly replace Craig Smith on a team offensively that's already good, but in a vacuum, at least in my opinion, you know, we could look at the stats and all that good stuff, that Hathaway is better than Craig Smith. So you're upgrading from Craig Smith on the right side of probably your third line, and you're significantly upgrading a top-four defensive pairing by bringing in a guy like Orlov, which allows you know Matt Grizzly to go down to the third pairing, where he probably should be all along. I'm very excited, very, very excited for you know the additions that they did make. You know, It allows a guy like Connor Clifton to stay on the third line and not have to come up to the second line as well. And then... I'm trying to think who's the other guy. Um, I was a guy like Forbort to stay down on the third line or kind of fill in as necessary. So I'm really, really excited for the Bruins this year. Very, very excited for them this year. Again, I think making this deal now 
is a significant, significant deal. It allows them four games. Probably we'll see these guys in three of them. I don't expect them tomorrow. Again, I'll be excited, but I'll be surprised. We'll see them for three games, and by then, Don Sweeney will be able to kind of see, like, okay, maybe we do need to add one more whatever, center, winger, defenseman even, whatever. You still have some ammo in the gun. You do. You have a third this year, a fourth this year. You have a first next year. You have a fourth next year. Um, You do have picks. But the question now becomes, how much are you willing to sacrifice your future? Because the past several drafts, the future has been sacrificed to win now. And I think that is the absolute correct approach to have this coming deadline, is to win now. And this move absolutely shows you that, where they've given up their first-round pick this year, and of course, other picks in addition to that. They made the move to bring in Hampus Lindholm last year, first-round pick. The year before that, they brought in Taylor Hall, second-round pick. So it's really exciting to see that Don Sweeney is being very active at the deadline the past couple of years. And just because it's a first-round pick, a second-round pick or whatever, is not shying him away from making these moves. That's something that we saw a ton with Danny Ainge when he was you know, the GM with the Celtics. We saw it with, um, oh, what's the other the guy's name? Not, not, oh, damn, not Claude Jewel, uh, Claude Julian. Um, I think he's with Edmonton. Oilers. I believe he's with the Edmonton Oilers still. Uh, General Ma- no, Ken Holland. Uh, this is going to bother me. I, I can't think of his name. I can see him, though. Bruins, former GM. Peter Shirelli. There we go. So, like, we saw this oftentimes with Peter Shirelli is, yeah, did he go out and make some moves? Of course. But, like, I feel like he left a ton of moves on the table. He left a ton of moves on the table. He didn't bring in additional right-wing help. He didn't bring in wing help at all for Krejci for years upon years. He didn't make the proper moves to bolster the defense, you know, to help Chara on on that first pairing before McAvoy came up. It's just moves he left on the table that really hindered maybe 2013. Maybe it hindered some runs in 2014 and 15 before he got fired. But to see... To see Don Sweeney go out there and, again, be aggressive, make these moves, he's willing to sacrifice the future is is nice to see. And, again, you don't want to completely deplete the future. It's nice to still have some first-round picks coming up in a few years, and you're going to have to retool and rebuild that farm system. Being 30th out of 32 teams, listen, I knew it was bad. I didn't know it was this bad. And I know they had a good draft last year. They bought, drafted, like, what, three Three centers, some defense. I kind of forget the, the draft off the top of my head. But 30th out of 32nd, that's tough. However, that's the price to pay when you're giving up a first-round pick for Hampus Lindholm, a second-round pick for Taylor Hall. That's the price you're paying. And you're giving up another first-round pick, another uh, second-round pick, and other picks to bring in Orlov and Hathaway. And it's reassuring to see that Don Sweeney is willing to make these moves, especially for a year that is going to be, or at least pretty much is, Patrice Bergeron's last season, David Krejci's last season. You know, these guys from the core about 10 years ago, they're all but gone. I mean, you still have Marshand, obviously, you know, for probably a few more seasons. You have Bergeron now. You have Krejci now. 
but Chara's out the door. Tuka Rask is out the door. Krejci did go out the door, but now he is back. So if there was ever a window to win now, it's now. It's win right now. And the Bruins off to their incredibly hot start, you know, on record pace for wins, on record pace for points, is exceptional. And these moves are only going to help bolster the best team in the NHL. I've said this time and time again. I've said this about every team entering the deadline for whether it's the Bruins, the Celtics, whatever. You don't want to lose a series and say to yourself, only if we had one more of this. Only if we had one more defenseman. Only if we had one more center. Whatever it is. Because with a team like this, as deep as they are, is there room for improvement? Yes. Clearly the top four addressed. The bottom six probably could have got away with, but it was addressed and it was improved. So it's there's always room for improvement. And you could even say between now and the deadline that there's still room for improvement. Where? It's going to be tough to say, to be honest, but I mean... You could probably find another winger or another center to just really kind of help bolster that that fourth line. Could you add a defenseman? Well, at that point, what are you giving up for the defenseman? Because you already have a, a plethora of good ones that you know do, do that are good enough to play on the on the the third line. But there's a quote from Jim Montgomery on trade deadline conversations with Don Sweeney. I don't know when this audio was from. I'm going to assume it's from very recent. But um, I really like what he says here, and I'm going to quote him. Donnie and I, referring to Don Sweeney, talk quite a bit, and my role is, where would I use so-and-so player? How does he fit in into our lineup? So it helps him evaluate what he needs to do to improve our team. And then he goes on to say how the communication is both ways, how Montgomery thinks the team could be improved, you know, here and there, and how Sweeney presents to him how he would feel if, they brought in so-and-so. So I'm sure before they struck the deal, hey, how do you think we you would use Dmitry Orlov? How do you think you would use Garnet Hathaway? And it's good to see that the communication is both ways between both the coach and the GM. It's, again, something you just, I feel like you didn't see all too often in past regimes. Something you don't see all too often, you know, with other teams in the local area. Like, I think Brad Stevens and I would say Ime Udoka last year before they brought in Derek White had some conversations about how Derek White was going to be a fit. And then, so I'm trying to think, Malcolm Brogdon was technically brought in when Udoka was the coach. So I guess that's kind of, you know, I guess a conversation he had with Udoka. But it's also, you know, when you look at how they brought in Mike Muscala, I'd like to think that Stevens talked to, you know, Joe Mazzula. How are you going to use this guy? Is he worth bringing in? Should we even bother doing it? One thing I don't feel that there's any conversations with is Alex Cora and Heinblum. I just don't I don't see it at all. I do not see it at all. There was he was on a radio station interviewing talking about the whole process of Alexander Bogarts and how he signed with the Padres. And I guess Alex Cora and somebody was going to go meet up with Alexander Bogarts. I think it was I don't know if it was later that day or the next day for for whatever. Just to talk and you know be like, "Hey, so you know, what do we have to do to get this this deal done?" And I think Alex Cora was at, like, a restaurant or a bar or whatever, grabbing, like, lunch. And next thing you know, breaking news, Alexander Bogart signs with the San Diego Padres. And Alex Cora was just so thrown off, and he was just caught off guard about that news. 
So just like the lack of communication from the GM, Hein Bloom, and Alex Cora, the, the manager, right there, is how do you not let Alex Cora know that you were about to lose Alexander Bogarts, you know, so quickly? Like, I feel like if if Hein Bloom knew, Alex Cora could have acted faster. Now, again, the Red Sox weren't going to match an 11-year deal, which Alexander Bogarts got, so congrats to Bogarts. But still, it's just, I feel like Alex Cora was just left in the dark. And that is something we're clearly not seeing with the Boston Bruins between Jim Montgomery and Don Sweeney, which is, again, very reassuring, awesome to see. I do think that this move is going to be extremely beneficial long-term for the team, and I'm very excited to see how it pans out over the next week or so, you know, in the short term, to see how it blends and meshes between now and the deadline and see if there's any additional moves that the Bruins will make between now and March 3rd. But speaking about the Red Sox, I know I touched upon them very, very quickly. I need to get a quick sip first. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. I know I talked about the Red Sox, and I want to continue to talk about the Red Sox. And this is an article from two hours ago from Keegan Stifle of Nesson.com. And it's, it's, this is what it's, I swear to God, this is what it's titled. Five random Red Sox thoughts as spring training games begin. I love this article because I've sat here plenty of times. I've sat here plenty of times and said that the Red Sox, oh, this or oh, that and this and that, and they need to do this and that. And the moves they did is not, is not good enough. All true. All of that is true. All of that is very true. But these are some random thoughts that maybe we didn't think of. You know, I haven't looked at it yet, but I'm excited for it. You know, again, random thoughts we never thought of. You know, maybe there's something, you know, something juicy here to, to talk about. So let's dive into it. Uh, Major League Baseball season is officially here as the Red Sox are slated to open up their spring training schedule against Northeastern Huskies at 1 p.m. on Friday. That's today. Very exciting. The Red Sox lose, if they ever lose to Northeastern, absolute damn shame. Though the 2022 season went about as poorly as fans could have imagined, Friday marks the turning of a new leaf for the Red Sox nation. The 2023 spring training schedule is a bit different, with the World Baseball Classic starting on March 7th and drastically influencing Boston's pre-opening day roster. That seems like a bummer for the team in flux. In influx. But the whole ordeal will allow the Red Sox to take a longer look at some players who may not be as entrenched to the organization's plans moving forward. Plus, it will afford us the opportunity to get our wheels churning regarding the Red Sox' potential outlook moving into the regular season. Some might even call them thoughts. Let's discuss some of those thoughts that have arisen in the early days of Boston's work down at Fenway South. How will the Red Sox approach bullpen roles? Um, I feel like this is something we don't have to talk about as much. You know, Hanley Jansen is going to be the closer. John Schreiber is going to have a good role. Garrett Whitlock is moving to the rotation, while Tanner Houck could be asked to do almost anything. Ryan Brazier, Zach Kelly, and Caleb Orr are the only other returning members to the bullpen. Um, they don't talk about Chris Martin. Oh, Chris Martin. Uh, a lot of newcomers. Chris Martin, Richard Blier, Jolie, 
uh, Rodriguez and Wyatt Mills were all acquired this offseason, all have experience playing significant or specific roles in successful bullpens. Uh, there are also the likes of Brandon Walter, Chris Murphy, hey, Josh Winkowski, and Cutter Crawford, who could also ask to work in the pen, but feel like AAA stars at this point in their careers. So Ryan Brazier, Zach Kelly, and Caleb or on the bubble. I think Caleb Ort should should get a crack. I think he's fine. All right, so I could really care less about the bullpen right now. I feel like the bullpen will figure itself out, hopefully. Uh, you brought in a ton of guys. You have a bunch of decent arms, so bullpen should not be an issue. It absolutely should not be an issue this year. Obviously, if you're in contention and you add a bullpen piece down the road at the deadline, of course, all championship-winning teams should do that. Add a bullpen arm. You can never have enough of them. All right. Masataka Yoshida should move around the lineup. Interesting. Because he's been pegged in a lot of projections as the leadoff guy. So, you know, moving around the lineup. Interesting. Yoshida is one of the most interesting players on the Red Sox roster. The scouting reports all sound great. But there's really no way of knowing whether an international free agent will translate to the MLB level. Hmm. Here's what we do know. Red Sox intend on splitting Yoshida and Rafael Devers and trusting the leadoff spot to their newly signed product of Japan. We just don't know if Boston should marry that idea. I, the Red Sox intend on splitting Yoshida and Raphael Devers and trusting. So like, is it Yoshida then Devers? Or are we talking about Devers leading off? Because if it's Devers leading, leading off, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Boston received practically zero production from the leadoff spot last year. So Yoshida looks like the perfect candidate to solve that problem. He's also renowned for his approach, which makes us wonder if he should just be used to protect Devers. Mm, no, no. Again, this lineup is so thin. It's so hard to, like in years past, leadoff guy, uh, maybe a two guy. Oftentimes it's been Devers. Bogart's three, J.D. Martinez four. Like that was just such an easy staple. I mean, you know, back in, it seems like so long ago, you'd have Betts number one. Benintendi number two, uh, would you have like Devers three or no, Bogarts three, Devers four, Martinez five, just so you can go right bets, left Benintendi, right Bogarts, left Devers, right JD. Like, that, oh, that was just so perfect. That makes all the sense in the damn world. And ever since Mookie Betts, we have not had a legit leadoff hitter. That's why I wanted the Red Sox to bring in Adam Frazier last year. He was a guy that was hitting over 300, or was it last year? No, two years ago. A uh, guy hitting over 300 can get on base, versatile. Of course they didn't. Um, okay, I already read that. The idea is out there, sure. But why not use the games that don't count to see whether or not he can do more than just be a leadoff man? At the very least, it would be fun seeing him hit between big big boppers like Devers, Adam Duvall, and Tristan Cassis. Why mess up the leadoff spot? Who are you going to have? Like, you literally do not have, You don't even have a number two hitter. You don't. Even, oh, the Red Sox lineup card has just been submitted for today's game. Literally, as I read this in real time, I just got it from MLB.com for their game against Northeastern. All right, uh, is that everything about Yoshida? Okay, yes. Here is the game one lineup: Jaron Duran, center field; Rafael Devers, third base; Kike Hernandez, shortstop; Yoshida, cleanup in left field. Verdugo batting fifth in right field. Well, I gotta open it up because I need the rest of the lineup. Uh, hold on, it's loading. It's loading. Here we go. 
Uh, let's see. Jorge Alfaro, DH, hitting six, which I didn't even hear about this signing until like the other day. I don't know if it like, came out the other day, but I'm just hearing about it now. Uh, Tristan Cass is first base, seventh. Emmanuel Valdez, the second baseman, eighth. And Steven Scott, the catcher, batting ninth. Um, I don't like this lineup <laughs> at all. <laughs> I don't like it at all. Um, Duran is leading off. I'm totally fine with. If you want to go like Duran, Yoshida, Devers, that's fine. I feel like you need to put Devers three this year just because you literally have nobody else. I mean, I guess you could have like Verdugo first or second, Cassis fourth, fifth, but you want to put a lot of the pressure on the young kid early. Kike Hernandez batting third, no thanks. He's an overrated leadoff hitter. He was hitting like 235, and people were all excited about it. All right, number three. Where does Bobby Dahlbeck fit on the roster? Speaking of Cassis, it appears the Red Sox have entrusted first base with 2020, 22-year-old uh, with the 2020. Gee, oh my God. Let me. Can I just start that over? Can we like cut? Cut. Action. Speaking of Cassis, it appears the Red Sox have entrusted the first base with the 22-year-old. So where does that leave Dahlbeck? If Cassis is allowed to take out the majority of at-bats and trust in Justin Turner supplements his time at DH with a few games at first base, there doesn't appear to be a legitimate reason to roster Dahlbeck. Or is there? Of the healthy players on Boston's Major League roster, only Dahlbeck can claim to be the true utility infielder. Though the 27-year-old has played about 90% of his games on one of either corner, he's also been trusted to play some second base and shortstop. Oh yeah, he's still got some of the best raw power on the Red Sox, which I agree with. Dahlbeck's issue over the last two seasons has been timing, as he's fallen into nasty slumps by allowing bad habits to get the better of him. By all accounts, he looks much better to start 2023, and a strong spring could avoid another trip down to AAA Worcester. Now listen, listen. He should never have been thrown into the poor slump that he was thrown into. 2021, after a nice 2020 COVID year, whatever, he struggled a little bit. He should have been, after about a month of struggling, three weeks, should have been brought down to AAA, figure out the swing, work on the mechanics, come back up later in the season. Nope, they didn't do it because they didn't have a first baseman. Why? Because they didn't have a first baseman. I literally don't know why. They they were just going to gunsling it with him, and that was it. Poor decision. 2022 comes around. Okay, Bobby Dahlbeck's the starting first baseman. Excellent has hot streaks, has cold streaks, slumps, struggled. And they, again, they should have brought him down to AAA, let him figure out his swing, let him figure out mechanics and do this and do that, the intangibles, and then come back up after a month or two and be a better player, better hitter. But nope, they couldn't. Why? They didn't have a first baseman until after the deadline when they acquired Eric Hosmer. But that's besides the point. It Poor roster building by Bloom and Red Sox ownership I'm not going to say is pointing to the reason why Bobby Dahlbeck is failing, but you could argue. You could argue that. I mean, we've seen it in years past. Uh, wasted young prospects who have, I don't want to say, you know, superstar talent and potential, but like decent upside. Uh, I can't think of his name. Oh, the infielder. Um, I don't think this was, it wasn't during Heim Bloom's tenure, no, but uh, you have Blake Swihart. Wasted. You have, why can't I think of the infielder's name? Oh, Devin, 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 Devin. What is it? Devin something. 
Devin, Red Sox, Devin. Oh, I can't think of his name. Devin Marrero, thank you. Um, Devin Marrero, wasted. Uh, let's see. I already said Blake Swihart. Uh, well, I can't think. Bobby Dahlbeck, recently. Jaron Duran, potentially could be a waste. Um, who knows there. Michael Chavis, another waste. So it's just like you've wasted these good, these good, talented guys, and you know, seemingly all for nothing. Makes no sense. Like last year, uh, who was it? Spencer Torkelson cracked the Tigers' opening day roster, struggled for a little bit, went down to AAA, came back later in the season, looked significantly better. It makes sense. It's just the Red Sox couldn't do it with Dahlbeck because they didn't have anybody to put at first base. And that is, again, poor team building on their part. Hopefully, we see something change. Hopefully, you know, Dahlbeck can kind of figure it out. He's 27. Um, would some time in AAA be beneficial? Maybe. Do you throw him at second base and just kind of let him be the second baseman since Story's going to be out? I don't want Christian Arroyo the full-time second baseman. Some people do. is going to be the full-time shortstop. Makes absolutely no sense. And this is one of the next points. Boston needs to test its versatility. Now, before I even get into it, having your most you versatile player in Kike Hernandez, your everyday shortstop, makes no sense to me. If it's just a patchwork for a month or two, fine. Whatever. But it's not going to be. When I think of a shortstop, I think of a plug him in the lineup 150 times out of 162 and forget about it. Derek Jeter, Nomar Garcia Parra, um, recently Xander Bogarts, obviously. You, know, you can even look back at like Steven Drew, you know, Alex Gonzalez. You know, guys, you just plug him at shortstop and forget it. You don't consider anything else shortstop 98% of the season. All right, so let me get into this part. This one is for Cora. No one likes talking about versatility quite like the Red Sox manager, who would force everyone into playing every position if he could. Good thing spring training was literally built for such experiments. Kike Hernandez is moving to shortstop. Christian Arroyo will be given an opportunity to play second base full-time. That does not mean Boston should shoehorn their at-bats into specific roles, however. There's no reason not to move some of the roster bubble guys around in hopes they could still catch on somewhere. We touched on it with Dahlbeck, but Emmanuel Valdez, who I had no idea who this guy is, by the way, still needs to find a defensive home, as does Adalberto Mondesi once he gets healthy. Uh, Sedani Rafaela can and will do a little bit of everything, so why can't Yu Chang get a shot to do the same? Let's get weird. I don't like this at all, guys. <laughs> I don't. Listen, I'm all for trying the younger guys and new guys at random different spots to see where they can fit and stuff. But to kind of go into the idea of Christian Arroyo being the full-time second baseman, Kike being the full-time shortstop, um, this guy, Manuel Valdez, I don't even know who he is, you know, could be the you know second baseman. Like, makes no sense to me. Like, I would be totally fine with Adalberto Mondesi being the shortstop and Kike being the second baseman. Because at least with Kike at second base, you can platoon him with Dahlbeck, Arroyo. Then you can move Kike into the outfield from time to time if you need and just allow him to be more versatile. I hate everything about the Red Sox versatility this year. And the last one, who steps up as the Red Sox new leader? Sorry to bring it up, Red Sox fans, but Xander Bogarts is gone. Way to drive a knife right through my heart and, and bring up old pain. <laughs> Watching the man that many viewed as the captain of the team walk out the door is tough, but could be even more so if someone else doesn't step up. 
That is where Hernandez and Jansen are expected to step up. But who else? It's hard for pitchers to be leaders. It really is because they don't play every day. You know, like when you have like a guy like Pedro and Kurt Schilling, just absolute ace, top of the game. You know, people feared Pedro Martinez. Kurt Schilling won won a World Series prior or two World Series prior. Two World Series prior, yeah. It's just like, okay, fine, we'll listen. You know, Kenley Jansen did win one with the Dodgers. Did, oh, did he win one with the Braves? Was he on the Braves? Uh, Was he on the Braves? Shoot. Was he on the Braves when they won? No, he's still with the Dodgers. Okay, so only won one. That's a little tough. And, like, yeah, Kike Hernandez won with the Dodgers as well. But, like, I don't know. I view him more as, again, that utility guy, fun guy. You know, keeps the locker room loose, not serious. You know, Bogart's fun and all that, but he was very serious as well. He learned from Ortiz. He learned from Pedroia. Like, he was molded to be a leader. Expect Turner, who played that role in his time with the Los Angeles Dodgers, to provide some of the leadership qualities left behind Bogart. Maybe we'll get a fun trend out. Maybe we'll get a fun trend out of it. I don't like that mentality. You could look at the Red Sox the past 20 years and specifically point to their leaders in their locker room, except this year. 20 years from now, uh, years ago, 2023, or 20, 2003. Manny, Nomar, Pedro, Ortiz wasn't who he was yet, Veritek even. Like, you had those guys, you know, as, as staple leaders. Then you, you know, let's fast forward to 2007. Ortiz has emerged as a leader. You still had Manny. Veritek was still there, of course. Schilling was still there. You know, Mike Lowell, gritty veteran who won with the Marlins before. Josh Beckett won with the Marlins before, but ace as well. Someone that people feared. Those are leaders. 2013, Pedroia has emerged as a leader now. You still have Ortiz. Um, Veritek was not on that team, no. Bogarts was young, so he was going to be molded and formed. But you had a guys like um, David Ross, gritty old veteran catcher, who dem- who commanded a lot of respect. So that leadership was out there. Shane, oh yeah, Shane Victorino even you know from his time with the Phillies, won World Series with the Phillies. Someone that people respected, played the game hard, played it good. Twenty eighteen. Let's look at twenty eighteen. I mean, I don't. It's hard to count Pedroia. He played like what, three at bats. <laughs> That season of three games, so I'm, I'm really not going to count Pedroia. But you have Bogarts, Betts, absolute leader. Devers was being molded. J.D. Martinez, first year, came in, demanded a lot of respect, got it. Uh, I'm trying to think. Let's see. Pitchers. Pitchers. Uh, Chris Sale, he was Pedro-esque in 2018. You know, feared. A lot of people were terrified of, of when he was on the mound. So you, there's ample leaders when you look at a team that's won the World Series in recent history for the Red Sox. You know, 2003-2004, relatively the same, same group, or just about the same group, with the exception of a couple additions. But here in 2022, or 2023 rather, we're going to have fun with it and hope Turner can make an impact in year one. And we're going to look to Kike Hernandez, who is a utility guy, and Kenley Jansen, a closer, like, I like nothing about it. I'm sorry. I like absolutely nothing about where the leadership of this team is going and the direction that it is going. I'm very, very, like, I mean, when Ortiz retired in 2016, 
Like, you could see Xander Bogarts taking on that mantle. You could see Mookie Betts taking on that mantle of being leaders for this team. And felt good about it because they were good. They were great. They they were locker room guys, team guys. Fans loved them. Made all the sense in the world. Young even. But man, it's tough. It's tough. I, I don't feel good about it at all. But um, that is, wow, almost 40 minutes into an episode. That, that kind of flew by, I'm not going to lie. But that was a, a fun episode, it really was. Dive deep into the Bruins, trade deadline, trade itself, talk about the future a little bit, and of course the Red Sox in spring training. Very, very excited to finally have, again, not meaningful games, but just games in general for baseball. I'm very excited for that. But that will wrap it up for today's episode, guys. I really do appreciate you joining me for today's episode, episode number 182. If you're listening to this on audio-only platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Amazon Music, wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find Murph's Boston Sports Talk. So thank you very much for downloading, listening, and enjoying. And of course, if you're listening to this on YouTube, thank you so much for clicking on the video. Please make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. I love, 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 and appreciate your support to the channel as that would mean so, so much to me. If you want to reach out to me via social media, reach out to me at Murph's Car Town on Twitter, Instagram, and of course, Facebook as well, as I'd love to engage in a conversation on social media outlets. But that will wrap it up for today's episode. Enjoy the weekend. Uh, let's see, it's that time of year. Do I have to be a meteorologist? Look at the weather. Is it going to be hot? Is it going to be cold? Well, it's not going to be hot. We know that. Uh, my weather app has been kind of bummy. It takes forever to load. Um, it's going to be cold. So stay warm this weekend. If you're going to any card shows, make some good deals. Have some fun. But I will catch you in the next one. But between now and then, you guys know that I love you. And I will always, always see you. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.